There are times when the job is so enormous that you can't do it alone. You don't have all the right gifts. You don't have the personality. You don't have the strengths. You don't have the necessary know-how. It's at these moments when you need something or you need someone who is greater than you are, someone who is more fabulous than you are, who can deliver. When I think about being a husband, this is what I think about. Being a husband is like an individual who just does not have all the right gifts, doesn't have the perfect personality, doesn't have all the strengths, doesn't have the necessary know-how. That's what being a husband is like. None of us have what it takes to do husbandry well. To be honest with you, to be a husband is a job for Superman. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. This is the podcast where I put my articles in audio format so that you can listen to it. I have been thinking about this idea of being a husband recently, and I wanted to produce this article for you, this podcast as well. If you want to read this podcast, I would love for you to do it. Just go to our website and look for this title, A Good Husband is a Job for Superman, not for us lesser mortals. And so all you husbands, I want you to, in one sense, I, I want you to feel release that you don't have to be the perfect person. You don't have to have all the ability. There is a way to be an outstanding husband, but it's not through our strengths, our gifting, and our ability. And so I want to talk about that, and I hope that you you find some release and some relief, but not to the point to where you remove yourself from your responsibility to be an outstanding husband because even though it's not your strengths, not your know-how, not your personality that, that are the primary things, there is a way to be an outstanding husband, and I want to make a case for that in this podcast. Now, before I get into it, uh, as I was constructing this this podcast, I received a an email from an, a lady in an abusive marriage, and she said that her husband has been using my articles to prove his case about how she needs to change and how she needs to conform. And so he was using my article articles like a, I guess you could say like a cudgel. Those are not her words. These, these are mine. And I read that, and I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, it was infuriating, not toward her, but, but toward him. If what she is saying is true, her husband is a jerk, he's an abuser, he is irresponsible, he is deceptive, he is a liar, he is a manipulator, and a whole lot of things that I'm thinking right now that's going through my head. It is absolutely infuriating that anybody would take this content or any other content and take it out of context in an eisegetical way and use it to prove a point or to get someone to submit to your way, your way of thinking, to get someone to basically to manipulate them into the kind of person that you want them to be. People do that with Scripture all the time. Jesus talked about this in the New Testament where the Pharisees would, would take Scripture and twist it out of context and miss the entire meaning of it so that they could use it for their self-serving purposes. And so I've used the word infuriating a couple of times now, and it is absolutely infuriating. And, and 
this is not the first time I have heard that, but it's been a while, and I know that it's true. I know that people do that. And so if you are a husband or a wife that is using any resource, whether it's ours or the Bible or any other thing for self-centered purposes, just just stop it. And may the heavy hand of God come on you and exert pressure on you until you come to your senses, because that is just evil. I'm thinking about doing an entire, I'm so frustrated with it. I'm thinking about doing a a podcast, an independent podcast on this idea, titling it something like Stop Using My Content as a Cudgel uh, for Your Self-Serving Purposes or or something like that. And so I did receive that email as I was doing this, uh, writing this article, and I wanted to put that out there uh, immediately because it's beyond dumb uh, it is it, it's downright evil, and uh, I just pray that this husband will repent or that he will feel the full force of the warring army that he is positioning himself in front of. The warring army I'm speaking of comes right out of James 4, 6, where God says he opposes the proud. The idea of opposed there is a warring army. And so it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what relationship you're trying to manipulate. But if you're using twisting things to prove your points, I I pray God would have mercy on you. And and that mercy uh, could come with the heavy hand of God uh, bringing you to your uh, senses. And so that's enough of my soapbox there. But that was on my mind, and I wanted to uh, share that. And I'm thinking about maybe just devoting an entire, again, devoting an entire podcast to it. This article here is titled, A Good Husband is a Job for Superman, Not for Us Lesser Mortals. I remember when my son was much younger, a kid now, uh, then, uh, we watched the old Superman TV shows. Now, some of you would not probably not even know that they existed and you might want to go watch them now because they they could very well be canceled in the next month because I'm sure that there's something that our woke culture would find wrong with them but these TV shows were uh, were around the time of 1942 that's when I was a kid I'm just kidding I'm not that I'm not that old but we we found 84 minutes worth of 15 minute uh, shows on YouTube and it was absolutely awful television. But my son, because he was so young, he was enamored. And because he was enamored, it was good enough for me. And at some point in all of the 15-minute shows, Clark Kent, who is Superman, he would say this. He's dressed in his street clothes, and, and he would see a problem, something devastating was happening in the, in the town. And he would say, this is a job for Superman. And then he drops the suit, he dons the leotards, and he flies off to save the day. Superman wins. Superman saves the town. And my son was thrilled. Now, I was vicariously enjoying the show, the awful television But it was enjoyable because my son was enjoying it, and I was vicariously enjoying it through my son's experience. But as I reflected on that line, it's a job for Superman, about seven or eight times they said that, I began to think about the challenges of being a husband. You see, I deal with marriage problems every week of my life. Someone is 
always calling, always asking, always hoping that their marriage will change. Now and then, a husband will come asking how he can change rather than how his wife can change. So unlike the individual that I was speaking of earlier who is manipulating content for self-serving reasons. But every now and then, the, the right kind of husband comes along, and they want to know how to change. And this request, by the way, how can I change, that is a fantastic start to a counseling session. When anyone places the accent mark on the right place, on their their own heart, on their mind, on their behavior, there is a near 100% chance the marriage can experience restoration from the Lord. You see, this kind of person is more interested in changing himself than his wife. When anyone's heart and mind are, are in line with God's word like this, there will be forward redemptive progress. If it is a husband talking like this, then I want to be honest with him. And what I mean by that, he needs to know that he can't be a good and consistent husband to his wife within his strength. At best, if he is a Christian, then he is a saint who occasionally sins, which implies that that he will fail at the art of husbandry on occasion. There will be days he will sin through his harsh words, his apathy, his discouragement, or his general selfishness. Marriage is not for the self-reliant man who thinks he can leap a building with a single bound. Marriage is for the weak. Marriage is for the helpless, the frail, the broken jar of clay. If any husband wants to be good at his role, he must come to terms with his limitations. What a man needs in his marriage is not strength, not his ingenuity, not his craftiness, not his stellar, winsome, charismatic personality. What a man needs in his marriage is weakness. If he tries to be a great husband by using all of his power, do you know what will happen? He will cancel out God's strength because God will not compete with him. There are always two options for the man, but only one choice. The two options are operating in his strength or operating in God's strength. Two options, one choice. And the one choice is up to him. Which will he choose? If he tries to be a great husband by his might, God will only marginally help him at best. And God may even oppose him if he tries to operate inside his marriage under his own strength. If he chooses to be a great husband by walking in weakness... The humility of mind and behavior, and that's what I mean by walking in weakness, by walking in a humility in mind, a humility in behavior, then he will position himself to experience fantastic, amazing grace. The power of God's work through weakness, not strength, 
That's how God's power works. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, my power, my strength, my ability, my power is made perfect in weakness. I am talking about what the gospel is and what the gospel can do in our lives. Our counterintuitive gospel is about God's power coming through something foolish and weak, a husband in the context of this podcast. God's power coming through something foolish and weak, and it comes to the human mind. The gospel-centered presupposition, this gospel-centered presupposition, is how God always works. He does this so there will never be any doubt as to how the greatness happened, how this fantastic marriage came about. A great man and a great God confuses the picture that God wants to put on display. It tempts the self-deceived strong man to smuggle God's glory away from the Almighty so he can enjoy it for himself. A weak man and a great God leaves no doubt about where the power came from. And who gets the glory? The first choice the husband has to make is how he wants to go about being a husband. His strength or God's strength? The humility of mind is where you begin when you're trying to change. This starting point cuts against the grain of proud hearts. There is no glory in being weak. But that is precisely the point. We are not supposed to get the glory. Weakness is always the biblical point of departure for otherworldly greatness. To be a great husband, therefore, is a job for Superman because no husband has what it takes to be what God has called him to be. Husbands need superhuman help. Now, the bad news is that Superman's not real. And I, I hope that's not a spoiler alert for some of you. Superman is not real. Superman, Santa Claus, I'm just going to just spoil everything for you. Superman, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, all fake. But fortunately, there is another option. There is someone who is not a figment of our imagination. He is greater than Superman. If a husband embraces personal weakness by tapping into this someone greater than he is, then he will be able to become what God has called him to be. If he is willing to humble himself by learning the art of husbandry from the master, he can become a skilled husbandman. Peter, who walked with the master, he gives us some excellent advice on how to practice husbandry. I imagine that every husband and probably every wife who's listening to this podcast, if they've been walking with the Lord for, for half a minute, then they're very familiar with 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter said this, Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This first part of this verse says, "Live with your husbands in an under, uh, live with your wives in an understanding way." 
And the way that I describe that here and in other places, I, I, I make appeals for husbands to become a learner, to do the first part of this text. The first thing that we want to do is to become a learner. We want to live with them in an understanding way. Let me illustrate my point in kind of a funny story now. It wasn't back then. But the first time my brother rode his bicycle, he rode it down a hill, out of control, through a barn door, landing in front of a bull. True story. He forgot a crucial step, how to use the brakes, and of course, how to dismount. What he did is what I call ready, fire, aim. Husband, if you don't know your wife well, if you haven't taken the time to become a learner, to understand her, I'd recommend that you not get on the bike quite yet because you may end up in the barn or in this case or maybe our case, you may end up in the doghouse. It is incumbent upon you to spend time studying the wife God gave you. Are you familiar with the word exegesis? I imagine most of you are. Exegesis, it is something that your pastor does each week. It is a word that theologians use to describe the process of of digging out Scripture to interpret it properly. It means to learn a text from every possible angle. Your pastor does this to bring a clear interpretation and understanding to the hearers so they can practically apply the Word of God to their lives. Sound, purposeful, intelligent, and disciplined exegesis is essential for a congregation to mature. This process of exegesis is similar to what you're supposed to do for your wife. You study her. Now, with that in mind, let me ask you a just a few questions to try to maybe hopefully give you some perspective and an opportunity to reflect on how well you are spending understanding and learning your wife. Here is a straightforward question. Are you a good student? Meaning, are you a good student of your wife? Number two, how have your studies been going lately? How have they been going as you think about your wife, as you study her, as you exegete her? Number three, are you asking the right questions? And maybe number four, I should say or should ask, are you asking any questions? And then number five, do you have a passion for studying her? Now, I know that is an issue. There are some things that that we have to study in our lives that we we might not be passionate about. And if you're not passionate about studying your wife, well, the first place that you want to begin is you, you want to ask God to give you that passion because Peter says to live with your wives in an understanding way. And so you want to become a learner. You cannot skip this step. You only need two books in your life to be successful at life. The primary textbook is is your Bible. The other textbook is your wife. If you spend your life diligently exegeting both of them, you will become a skilled husbandman. 
Now, your wife is not my wife, and what works for mine will not necessarily work for yours. You can't do cookie-cutter application. Cookie-cutter application is the bane of discipleship. We want to be pneumatic, walking in the Spirit, exegeting our unique wives in a unique way according to who they are and what God is doing in their lives and how we relate and interact with them. And so please don't do what I do. You're studying your wife, not mine. And from your studies, you carefully apply the Word of God to her. You are customizing the scriptures to make them applicable to your wife and your lives. One size does not fit all. Now, there are two ways for you to accomplish this essential first step. Again, we're talking about living with your wife in an understanding way. Number one, spend time on your knees before the Father, asking Him to give you insight into the wife that He gave you. Now, you don't have to be on your knees. You can be driving to work in the morning, driving away from work in, in the evening, but asking the Father to give you insight into the wife that He gave you. Regularly ask the Spirit to illuminate your mind regarding the best ways you can serve her. He will help you to study your wife, to exegete her, if you ask Him. Most husbands who are in difficult marriages do not do this. I want, you to, I want you to think about that sentence and not move too quickly by it. It's a true statement. If, if you do a lot of counseling, marriage counseling specifically, and you start talking about husbands specifically, and you ask them, are they students of their wives and their marriages are in trouble? In most cases, you'll find that they have not been. And so number one, spend time on your knees or on your bum driving to work or walking around your neighborhood. It doesn't matter. But asking the Father to give you insight. Number two, spend time with your wife. Asking her how you can serve her more effectively. Now, though this seems to be common sense, it is often missed or undervalued in poor marriages. If you want to learn about your wife, I recommend you spend time asking her questions. If you want to know about something, you go to the source. Research it. Everybody does this. And the reason we do this is because it's wise. You want to know about something. Therefore, you spend time researching, learning, asking questions. There are two primary sources when it comes to becoming to being a good husband. One, God. Talk to him. Two, your wife. Talk to her. The first time I applied this concept to my wife, she gave me a list. I was shocked at how quickly... <laughs> How quickly she came up with a list of ways to serve her more effectively. And then it dawned on me that she had been thinking about this for a while, though it only came to my mind just before I asked her. So number one, you want to be a learner of your wife. Number two, you, you want to be a leader. I have given more space to the idea of of learning, knowing your wife, because it is such an essential step. But now that you know her or you're in process of learning her, you will experience the equipping you need to lead her well because she's given you data. And so you will know how to lead her well because you have been studying her. And though there are many practical examples regarding how to lead your wife, the most crucial biblical leadership area is leading your, leading your wife spiritually. 
Now, again, we can talk about all kinds of ways to lead your spouse, but the most vital one is leading your wife spiritually. And so with that in mind, let me ask you a few questions about this. Do you lead your wife spiritually? Are you first to confess your sins? Are you first to pray as a couple? Are you first talking about what God is doing in your life? Are you her spiritual leader? Stepping into the responsibility that God has given you. Now, there are many ways, other ways to lead your wife, but I just want to make this point. If you're not leading her spiritually, all the others will be like walking in mud, walking in cement wet cement, walking in quicksand. Either you won't have the clarity to lead her correctly because you're not leading spiritually, or you won't be in faith, or she won't be in faith to follow you spiritually because she doesn't want to follow. She'll have a hard time following a shallow man. People could tell that Peter and John had been with Jesus most wives will follow a humble, God-fearing, spirit-empowered, word-informed, gospel-centered man. He will not have to demand it, manipulate it, because he is following God. And so you want to learn her, you want to lead, and then you want to love her, which is obviously implied in 1 Peter 3, 7. If you are regularly pursuing humility at the foot of the cross, studying your wife and leading her spiritually, you can honestly say that you love your wife. On occasion, I've heard people say, well, I love her, but I don't like her. That is silly talk. It is intellectual dishonesty. Imagine Christ saying to the church, well, I love the church, but I don't like the church. Why dichotomize a coin? Why divide it in half and split it up into some semantical argument? It skirts the issue. It doesn't matter whether you call it love or like. Not in the context of what I'm saying. The real question is, are you Christ to her? Semantical arguments about love and like end up in the weeds of excuses and justifications and rationalizations. Do you love? Do you like your wife? If you are a humble, studious, and leading man, you will be a loving and liking man too. Let me wrap up this podcast. It's titled, A Good Husband is a Job for Superman, Not for Us Lesser Mortals. I want to give you five uh, practical areas of leadership for you to think about as I wrap up. Number one, protect. Protection. Christ protects his church. He died for his church. He calls a wife to submit to her husband. The husband needs to give her something worthy of her submission. And you may say, well, she needs to submit anyhow. Please don't go there. That's another podcast. That's another article. Give her something worthy of her submission. One of the things you mu- one of the things she must know, she must feel, she must experience is a husband's protective care. Number one, protect her. Number two, model. The husband is exhibit A as far as modeling the Savior to her. If you do not model the Christ life before your wife, you will disqualify yourself from teaching her anything. You'll make it so much more, so much harder. A picture is worth a thousand words. What kind of image does your wife see when she observes your attitude and behavior toward her? Is she drawn closer to Christ by your example? Number two, model. Number three, disciple. Teach her about Jesus. Teach her how to love Jesus. Teach her how to be like Jesus. 
The husband's primary student, other than himself, is his wife, not his children. Too many husbands are more diligent with their children than their wives. The wife becomes a cog that keeps the children moving in the right direction. Are you actively discipling your wife? Number four, encourage. The change process is, re- is rooted in encouragement. Do you want your wife to change? How are you encouraging her toward change? It is the loving kindness of God that leads to change. The meanness of God does not change people. The meanness of a husband will not change a wife. Are you mean to your wife? How do you treat her? Does she sense the love of God coming through your words when you talk to her? Number four, encourage. And then number five, confess. Biblical husbands are sin-confessing husbands. How could it be otherwise, since we still sin? One of the most effective ways a husband can lead his wife is by removing the sin between them. He leads the charge by confessing his first, because a sin-confessing couple is A non-sin-confessing couple is spiritual constipation for the marriage. You will not move forward. If you're not a sin-confessing couple, you will not move forward at all. The title of the podcast and the article that I just shared with you, A Good Husband is a Job for Superman, Not for Us Lesser Mortals. This podcast had only one point for the husband. And as I shared earlier about the wife who wrote in and the husband who was using my content as a cudgel to get her to conform. This article is about one point. I hope you understood the point. I Sometimes I sense, I sense the need just to, to over-communicate, to be clear, because people take so much out of context or they map their current situation over what I'm saying and say, yeah, good, but what about this and what about that? And then they just go off on these rabbit trails, and it's so hard for some people to stay on point. I trust you have the, po- have the point, and if you want to talk about this or if you have something else that you want to talk, please come to our talk about. Please come to our forums. Let's chat. Thanks for listening.